eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling. And we're cousinless today, Shotgun. Chris Trevino is on a much-deserved vacation, so we're back to the basics, the OG podcast. Thank goodness. Oh! Oh, come on. You don't always want your cousins around. Wow, Helium Boys. You like your cousins, you you have a great time at family functions, but you don't always want them there. Wow! And he doesn't listen to podcasts, so he'll never know your true (laughs) thoughts. Just kidding. So since the cousin is gone, we're having a little bit of a different format. For this episode, no take it or leave it. Our marketing coordinator is gone, so we don't have a fake sponsor. So that's a little sad. Uh, but we'd have to talk about USC's player-run practices. We got to see the first one uh, open to the media on Tuesday. C is in quotation marks. C-ish. C-ish. First look at players, I guess mm-hmm. we could say. And then it's time, folks. The 2021 offensive preview. We're going to go down USC's roster and share our thoughts and predictions i guess for what we're going to see in fall camp i mean fall camp is going to be huge um so it's going to be the things that we're going to be looking for the things that usc really needs to take a step forward on to to be able to get to the capabilities that this offense has you know that they there's a lot of potential there but you know they've got to achieve some things to get there so we're going to talk about those things we'll look at the roster and some some interesting position battles uh that you know We'll see how that how they shake out during fall camp and which ones we're going to be looking at the most. So we'll be looking at those things. You know, it, it's it, fall camp. It just feels like we're getting more and more back to being normal. We're I mean, close. the Pac-12 media day is going to happen in, in a few weeks. So that's going to be something that was completely wiped out last year um, as far as a live event. It was, it was a lot of Zooms. Uh, that day going through yeah. so you know it'll be interesting to to be able to see the coaches and see other reporters from around the conference that you haven't really seen you know I didn't see anyone last year you know I was on the concourse so you know I saw a, a couple of the local reporters when we would be leaving the stadium but besides that you know I wasn't really seeing anyone so it'll be you know fun to to see some old faces some familiar faces but more and more baby steps along baby steps we're getting back towards normality so eventually get back to the Coliseum with fans in it. It's going to be fun when that happens, but a lot of work to be done for us, but also more importantly for the USC football team uh, before that happens. Yeah, I mean, the PRP made me realize that I hadn't been that close to players basically since last March. 
And it throws off your whole like observation comparison game as a reporter because you can. It's hard to be like, oh, he looks bigger because it's like I didn't mm. see him in person, you know. And we got to conduct our first interviews up close, not via Zoom. There wasn't a computer involved, thank goodness. And we had to play a game called "Who's That?" <laughs> because Keely did not recognize. Excuse you. <laughs> You didn't either. I didn't recognize some of the new faces. Same. Keely didn't recognize the new faces or some of the guys that <laughs> look hadn't been on campus for more than like two years. Okay, here's the thing. If they were in pads, I would be able to recognize them just because the body shape. That's where that's my bread and butter. <laughs> faces, they're usually covered, okay? And we haven't been in person. Yeah, pads, pads because then they have numbers on them. That would make no, it no, easier no. for you. I clarified because <laughs> I knew you were going to call that out. It was body shape and how they move, you know? All about the body shapes. Just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, as a reminder, you guys can send us questions or emails, submissions to the pod at familyfoodpod at gmail.com. I did check, Shotgun. I know you're going to call me out on it. I did check. Thank you for the email we got. We're actually going to address it a little bit later, maybe in another episode, so we'll see. Wait, did you check after I asked you if you checked? No, Shotgun. This is the first <laughs> yeah, time we're recording this. Happened. It's totally, totally fine. Uh, you can also look at, out for a tweet from Shotgun, usually on Thursdays. We've got a couple questions, so we'll answer that towards the end of the show. Um, but Shotty, like I said, we got to see the first quote-unquote open player run practice it's the first one that usc let us attend mm-hmm. um and by attend i mean we got to stand by the tunnel and watch players walk past us and then we sat for an hour and then requested a couple of players that we could talk to that and was, then that was it yeah that was the most important thing is that we actually got to talk to players in person for the first time in a long time so that was you know fun to to get back to and you know be able to say hello like uh, Jonah Monheim was requested by someone else but then afterwards you know he you know me and him talked about our flow a little bit you uh, both have excellent flow yeah we got a lot of flow going here and it very similar situations where he said it was right before the pandemic hit he was about to go get a haircut he didn't and then there was no opportunity so <laughs> then it, as, as it grew out he's like eh, I don't mind this I kind of like this I like this look uh, so, you know, just chit-chatting, those type of things that we haven't been able to do for so long. And, you know, it's for us, it's just a way to get to know the players better. You know, John Monheim's a guy who I covered multiple games of in high school. I talked to him at multiple events as far as uh, the opening and stuff like that. So I had a relationship with him before, but haven't talked to him in a year and a half, basically. That's so, the thing is, like, you can't get any, like, fun side conversations yeah. over Zoom. It just doesn't work like that. You can't pull anyone away on Zoom. Like, hey, all your other reporters, log off now. I'm just going to talk to him yeah. for a second and just chit-chat a little bit. And it's such an important aspect to – I don't. to me, it's like that's how you get certain observations or that's how you provide extra context to things is those little conversations because then later down in the road you can ask a guy coming off the sideline, hey, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? It's just like it's an extra bit that helps you in the long run. Yeah, and it, for us it's building a relationship too. You know, uh, yeah. you, you don't get an opportunity to do that you know, online – um, you, know, you can talk to people on the phone a little bit, but you know, in person and being able to read and react to, to people as they, you know, as as they react to your questions tells you a lot of, about a situation and how things may go. That's much different than over text or on a phone call. So just fun to to be able to, to chit chat with players and, and talk to them a little bit. Um, but also, it was our first look at a lot of new guys. You know, there's four new transfers that have arrived already. Nine transfers coming in this class or coming in during this offseason. Five of the, or four of them had already arrived during the spring. Four new guys had showed up. And then Jake Smith, the wide receiver from Texas, has not arrived yet. And then 11 new freshmen. You know, there's 12 freshmen that are summer or fall admits that will be joining the team, you know, officially joining the team in pads in the fall. 
um, that weren't there for the spring. We saw 11 of them. The one guy that wasn't, well, he's doing the Hollywood tour right now. That'd be Sierra Wright, the freshman cornerback from Loyola High School who played LeBron James' son in the new Space Jam movie. So because that movie is coming out this week, he was at the premiere earlier this week. He's doing kind of, you know, a lot of PR stuff, doing interviews and whatnot. So he, you know, he's a guy that I don't think he's really missing a ton from the, these PRPs, but, you know, just an opportunity for him to hang out with Anthony Davis and LeBron James and stuff. That's so pretty, pretty unique uh, experience. So you, you got to let him go do that. But, you know, everyone else is basically on campus. There were some guys missing, which you know, that happens pretty much at every PRP, whether someone has to has classes or has a family vacation or whatever it may be. You usually have a couple of people that aren't there. But we pretty much got to see the entire roster. Yeah. You know, 90, 90 to 95% of the roster and seeing some of the new guys up close and seeing, okay, Malcolm X is, Epps is listed at six foot five and a half in our database. He don't look six foot five and a half. He, Drake okay. London looks six foot is six foot five. He looks like Epps looks like he's six foot eight or six foot nine compared to everyone else. He just he just towered over everyone. It felt like as he was going by, and you go, that guy could be a real weapon in the red zone if they choose to throw to the quote unquote tight end. You know, is he going to be used as a wide receiver? Is he going to be used as a tight end? Don't know. We haven't you know can't tell that from not being able to see where he's lining up in the PRPs. But by seeing his his frame, you go. That guy could be a weapon. This is a guy who I completely pushed aside as far as the transfers coming in. It's just like another big guy coming from Texas. You know, what is he going to provide? Is he going to be able to break into the lineup? But you look at him in person, you go, okay, never mind. I think this guy has something he can contribute here. He has the dude factor. Like, you just look at guys walking down the tunnel and you're like, that's a dude. Like, he made <laughs> – I wouldn't classify Brew McCoy as like a small – gentleman Brew McCoy is nowhere near a small <laughs> yeah. gentleman and it, and he was walking with Brew McCoy and I was like he makes Brew McCoy look small it was just like you have to use that guy somehow because that's just has weapon written all over it yeah and we'll see if that's the case if they try to find mismatches that's been something that we've pointed out in the past how they've really you know stuck to the offense and the offense will work rather than hey let's find a mismatch and line this guy up against this guy so, you know, is that something they try to do a little bit more? That's something we'll talk about a little bit with the storylines as well. So, you know, it was our first chance, and I think the, the biggest thing to me was Epps. He, you know, he, he looks like he looks, he's got a big neck beard, so he looks like he's 35 years old already um, and looks like he can go out and dominate like he's been a, you know, a seven-year pro in the NFL or something. Now, we'll see once he gets the pads on what he looks like, where they line him up, all those type of things. But just initial impressions, that's what we were able to get. And you know, being able to see some of the guys that we haven't seen in a year and a half or so, you say you can't really compare it, but you can make that big comparison. Like, what do I remember this guy looking like? Yeah. Is there a big difference? Not necessarily a lot of those. You know, It wasn't necessarily like, wow, this guy looks so much bigger. Like Malik Murphy, the quarterback from Gardena Sarah, hadn't seen him since the pandemic. Yeah. And the first time I saw him a couple weeks ago, Oh my goodness, the guy was already huge, and now his chest is bigger and everything. You go, that guy looks like a grown man already, and he's 17 years old. Yeah. So I didn't think that there were, for me, and maybe you had a different um, you know, observation from this, but I didn't, I didn't see anybody that just you know caught my eyes like a Nico Fala pro day experience, <laughs> which we mentioned before, where someone shows up and you're just like, wait, who is that? Oh, that's so-and-so? He looks completely different. I didn't feel like there was anyone that really stood out necessarily that way. It was more the new faces that caught my attention. Yeah, the new faces caught my eye. The only ones I kind of noted were Keenan Kristen. He looked a little bit 
bulkier to me. And now I know you don't fully agree with me on that. So yeah, I didn't necessarily see that, but I also wasn't. You know, I was taking pictures of, of guys and you know just clipping them as they were going by because you know they're walking by in a group and you're just trying to get as many as you can, kind of. So I wasn't really focusing on anyone early. I was focusing on the new guys later. But again, I just no one really caught my eyes. Like, oh, that guy looks completely different. Yeah. Kyle Ford, I think, looks you know is is a big dude. I think he actually looks a little bit slimmer than we saw him in the fall, uh, and I think that's a positive thing, which tells you fall or spring. Fall. Okay. Well, mm. that's that's what I'm saying. Like, it's hard to make full comparisons because you're going from seeing them in pads from the aquatic center in spring to no pads yeah. up close. It's a weird comparison. Yeah, so I'm trying to think back to the last time, you know, we kind of basically saw the same thing, which I guess would be PRP's 2019. Oh, Eve. Or maybe the one spring practice of 2020. Yeah, I guess. I guess no, I guess it was there were were there PRP's winter PRP's that year? No. I don't so, think so. Yeah. No. Yeah. A long time ago. <laughs> basically what it was. So it's it's difficult to make that judgment, but again, I didn't see anyone that just Wow, that guy looks so different. I think the couple guys that we've seen make those kind of transitions, you know, are continuing that. The the guys like Liam Douglas, like he looks completely different than where he came in at. Uh, there's a couple of offensive linemen that you know are continuing to to build mass and stuff. Liam Jimmins, I think, and, is one and of Jonah Monheim is a guy yeah. you know from high school to now. I think he's just taking some steps. So some of those guys that we have seen those baby steps, we have seen them enough that it. You know, nobody really jumped out of like that looks so different, like yeah. Malik Murphy did to me the first you know time because I literally have not seen him at all. Some of these guys we've seen him in pads, we've seen him in yeah. zooms or stuff. So I, I think it's a little bit different there. So it's hard to make that judgment. It was more about getting initial impressions of those those you know first time guys, whether it be the freshman, you know Corey Foreman still looks like a dude. Looks like he's ready. Yeah. To, you know he can go out there and play from day one. You know we'll see where they line him up. What they ask him to do, but he looks like a guy from day one. But you know, Taj Washington, I, I can't. There's no real judgment. He looks fast. I don't. I don't know why he looks fast. Okay. Uh, just from the the appearance, and sure. that's complete judgment. Just complete. You know, that's nothing behind that. Yeah. yeah, just a gut feel. And I've heard some positive things about him already from from some people around the program. So you know he's a guy that he's probably the most interesting guy for me going into fall camp that I want to see that I haven't seen any from before. He looks fast, Epps looks big. Um Chris Thompson Jr, the the safety transfer from Auburn, he looks big. You know, he's bigger than Xavier Alfred, he's bigger than most of the safeties already, you know, both height-wise, I think he's 6'2" and then also, you know, he's a little bit thicker in the shoulders than Isaiah Polamau or or some of the other guys. And then running back Darwin Barlow, the TCU transfer Thick dude, you know. Um, I don't know exactly how they plan to use him, how different he's going to look, but he has, you know, broader shoulders, I would say, than the other running backs, you know, just from the look at it. Again, once it gets pads on, it's going to be completely different. How does how does Epps move in pads? How does Bar? You know, that's yeah. all going to be, you know, something completely different. But just getting some initial impressions of the, of the, the first time guys. The interesting thing for me was there was like the first wave of players coming out. And then we were told, like, hey, practice is going to happen. Come back at a certain time. And you kind of hear cleats coming up. And so I have to open up my camera bag again. I'm like, who's coming? And if you didn't know who he was, there was two long scars down his shins. And I was like, I think that's Ishmael Schofter, <laughs> which it was. He was moving, which is good. He was walking on his own. Uh, he, he did have cleats on, 
but he didn't look like he was going to be like a full participant. So I guess that's something to watch for. He's a big dude though. Um, so that was at least notable. And then uh, Greg Johnson returned. Solomon Tuyalapupu saw him. He looked, he didn't look like a guy who was coming out of rehab or like a, like, like a Ishmael who was by himself coming out probably to watch or whatnot. He was with people and he had cleats on. Shouts to Dan, who was on cleat watch for Solomon Tulelapupu all the time. But uh, we again, we didn't see if he was able to do anything or if he was limited. And the official rule of the Family Feud podcast is that we don't speak about Solo until he's like practiced two weeks in a row. So that's all we can really uh, give for. I like the how solo you just thing. try to usurp my rules and call them the Family Feud podcast rules. I mean, are you part of the podcast? Yeah, they're my rules, though. And then you try to say, like, oh, no, it's the podcast rule. Excuse me. I'm picking up what you do with everything I say. Lies so. and slander. It's true. And I'm going to find these clips. <laughs> sure. I'm going to find these clips. I'm going to find these clips. Um, you know who actually stood out to me that wasn't anticipating? Colin Mobley, the defensive lineman, the freshman from Maryland. That dude's huge. You know, I didn't expect him to be as big as he is. I think he's yeah. listed at six foot four. He looks that. He has broad shoulders as well. Um, See, so he looks like a guy that could potentially step in and play. You know, com- contribute a freshman season. Who he's a three star guy. So you know, everyone forgets about the three star guys and goes, ah, we'll see them down the line. But he looks like a guy that has the body type that can contribute right away. He's not going to have to put on a bunch of weight or take off a bunch of weight like you sometimes have to do with with some of the freshmen when they're coming in. So he was a guy that caught my eye as well. And a general point that I have to just make here, I feel like people took your photos and blew it out of proportion. Like, to the point where people were saying that, like, the players look like the before photos on Biggest Loser. Like, come on, guys. Really? <laughs> I didn't see that comment. Really? Like, come on. Like, uh, part of me is like, okay, let's take some of the top negative posters, put them through a Bobby Steiner and the Boys workout with the players and see who does well. You know? I just, I'm just saying. It's a lot of internet talk and the thing is lenses can distort things you didn't give full body shots i'm just saying it's it was a lot of criticism for the first look at players hey my lenses don't distort anything lady what are you talking about okay but you know what i mean (laughs) it was it was basically like chest and up shots of a lot of players because you know i have a longer lens so they came by quick and i was trying to get as many as i could so it I mean, it's not a full body shot, you know, you're not looking at people's ankles. I know that's a comment that gets thrown around in the P. Let's check his ankles. Um, so, you know, I didn't go look at it and go, oh, these guys don't look like they're doing anything this offseason. Look normal to me. It all depends on what you look like in pads. And until we see them in pads, it doesn't really mean anything. As Todd Orlando and the entire True. defensive staff will tell you, oh, these, pad, these no pad practices, they don't even count. Yeah, true. So the main bullet point is we got to see players, but we'll see. Yeah, true. <laughs> Saw some guys. We'll see what they look like when they put the pads on and where everyone lines up, all that, which is why we got to jump into this fall preview. Where is everyone going to line up? Well, well done. You've been like Mr. Transition for the last two pods. <laughs> it's finally, it took you a while to help wow, me out. Wow, <laughs> I'm transitioning. Well done. Yeah, well, let's go into the offensive preview. And I was trying to stop myself because I wanted to do this when we were talking about the tight ends because I have questions based on what i saw but um first off let's just talk about overall heading into 2021 this season what are the storylines that we're looking at or the main bullet points that you know you and i are going to watch for in fall camp first off i just said offensive line starters you know who is going to start we don't really know it's been the the biggest thing i mean it's what 
half a decade now that I've been running. Like the the offense will be determined by the offensive line once again. But this feels like more than any other season that we've gone into. There are a lot of question marks about where people are going to line up because normally you feel like okay, it's set at four positions. Maybe there's a big battle for one spot, but now you can move guys around and because it's a first year offensive line coach and Clay McGuire. Where does everyone line up? Is he does he want to move guys around a little bit? You know, do you want Andrew Voorhees at a tackle spot? Do you want to lock him in at one of the guard spots? Who's going to play the two tackle spots? Basically, it's Brittany Elon's going to be in the middle of the line. Who's going to be on the two sides of him? Though? So here's the thing. The guy I talked to after the PRP was Brett Nealon. And I made this joke. Like, we get questions all the time about who's going to start on the offensive line. And I said, basically, the only answer we can give is you. And he said, he like was kind of like, wait a minute. Like, no, no spot is given. <laughs> and I can't. I kind of give him this look like, come on. But he was like, every day is a competition. You know, the whole cliches. But you're right. It's like, it's pretty much, you know, Brett's going to be the center. And then who else, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and I mean Justin Dedes is a guy that could compete for that spot. We you know, we have confidence in him as a center as well. But he's a guy that if he's playing and Nealon is healthy, then they're both on the line. Uh is, is the way I look at it. So does Justin Dedes jump into the mix somewhere? Can he play guard? Uh I just think that there's a lot of question marks going in. We don't know, and there's some veteran guys that could be displaced. And, and that's going to be a big question mark. Can they lock down the spots? Liam Jimmins, Jalen McKenzie, the spots they were at last year. You know, Andrew Voorhees, is he going to be in the same spot? Which freshmen rise up, you know, the COVID freshmen rise up and take a tackle spot? There's a lot of question marks going on with the offensive line. Well, let me just go into the offensive line depth chart okay. uh, right now. So departures, obviously, AVT, Elijah Vera Tucker left for the NFL draft. He is now with the Jets. Family feud favorite oh yes we we saw it all the way through we called it scouts us us feuders uh so let's talk about the incoming freshman ty buchanan a three-star tackle out of texas he's 6'5 280 uh, mason murphy is a three-star tackle from jay sarah 6'5 290 and max gibbs three-star offensive lineman out of bosco 6'6 385 and that was a guy who also stood out like whoa that is a, a dude that's a big old boy yeah. um he's gonna have to slim down i think Mason Murphy looks about the size. Yeah, I think he's still got to put on some weight. Buchanan's got to put on some weight. These are all initial impressions. I don't think any of those three guys are in competition to to contribute this year. And that's usually the case with incoming offensive linemen. That's very, it's a de- development position. Well, are any of those guys five-star? That's the only time yeah. you're going to see a freshman come in. It's very rare that you know the freshman come in and contribute right away. It's even more rare at a program like USC that a three-star comes in. The only guy that comes to mind is Marcus Martin, if you remember him, who ended up in the NFL as a center from Crenshaw High School. You know, He came in, and because some guys had left, he was able to take over a spot and played really well um, in his career at USC and was able to leave early. But very rare that happens. I think with the established guys, none of those three guys are going to come in and steal a spot. So just running down the depth chart right now, Jalen McKenzie, Cortland Ford, Casey Collier, Jason Rodriguez, Andres DeWork, Andrew Millick, Jonah Monheim, and then the next two, Frank Martin and Bernard Shermer, those two opted out for the 2020 season. We saw Frank Martin in and out a little bit in spring camp. Bernard Shermer has just been a question mark for his entire Trojan career, so not <laughs> sure about that. But So we'll see about Frank Martin's status. I don't believe we saw him on Tuesday. Did not see him on Tuesday at the, the PRP. Shermer we haven't seen in... I don't even know the last time we saw him uh, on a practice field or with USC's players. So um, he's kind of an enigma. Still in the roster, though. And Frank Martin is still in the roster as well. 
So we'll see if either one of those guys, you know, if they come in in the fall and they're ready to go, they're older guys. They give you experience. Maybe they're a guy that can bump their way up with a new coach. But the fact that Frank Martin wasn't able to, you know, work his way in during the spring tells me that's probably not likely. And the fact that Sherman we haven't seen in so long, probably not likely either. So the offense tackle was really, does Jalen McKenzie hold on to his right tackle spot? And then which of the freshmen from last year, Cortland Ford, Casey Collier, and Jonah Monheim, take over a tackle spot? whether it be just the left tackle spot or both the left and right tackle spots. So I think that's what we're going to be watching to see what where have those guys taken strides. You know, Have they made any gains from the spring camp? Um, or do you not feel comfortable with those guys and go, we got to move one of these older guys somewhere, whether it be Andrew Voorhees, whether it be Liam Jimmins. You know, we got to make a move and move somebody around. I think, I think that's – from what we saw in the spring, I don't think that's what's going to happen. But the the big question then becomes Jalen McKenzie. Can he hold on to the right tackle, or does he slide back into right guard where he played previously in his career? That was one of the biggest questions that developed for me over camp. I thought Jalen McKenzie would be a for sure tackle spot, that right tackle, because you need an experienced tackle body, if you will. But then I was like, is it time to move him inside? I felt like he was more effective in the plays that we did see him in spring when he was playing guard. I don't know. We'll see. Because they, they started experimenting. I mean, we talked about ad nauseum how they were supposed to do a lot of mixing and matching with the offensive line, and we didn't really see that till the second half. I think I like the lines better where it had freshman tackles versus McKenzie. And you, you may look at it if you're the coaching staff and say, I want to go ahead and work with these younger guys because I'm going to be here for a couple of years and I want to I want them to take over and be able to develop over the next couple of years rather than saying, Okay, give this guy the older guy the playing time now. We'll work about worry about building up the younger guy next year. You know, when you're playing a video game, if the guys are graded similar, you play the younger guy because you know he's going to eventually develop in the game. Now, it doesn't work that way in real life, but that's basically the the sentiment here is that if you see those two guys as equal and one of them's older and one of them's younger and one of them's got more eligibility, you play the younger guy, you let the older guy either walk or sit the bench or whatever. And then you you know you go with the younger guy and he can build and develop as his career progresses because you still have more time with him. I haven't mentioned it yet, so I'm going to run through the guards: uh, Andrew Voorhees, Liam Jimmins. I put Justin Needish because he is a guard candidate, and we've seen him there. And then Liam Douglas, and then of course the centers: Brett Elon, Justin Needish, Dino Quinones, who we didn't see much of in 2020. And then I'm just putting it down because we've seen them take snaps before. Uh, Liam Douglas and Andrew Millick have gotten center reps, so. Um, there's the full offensive lineup. Yeah, plenty of options at center, but Brett Nealon's going to be there. Yeah. You know, as long as he's healthy. So that then pushes you to the guard, and you go, okay, Andrew Voorhees, Liam Jimmins, do they lock down those spots? Do you want to keep them there? Or, you know, and Jimmins is now competing not only with Liam Douglas behind him, but also Jalen McKenzie being pushed over by one of those freshmen being bumped up. So, you know, there's a lot of battles going on there, and it's not just straight up you know, left tackle versus left tackle. Now there's some movement. It's like, okay, well, Jonah Monheim, when he looked, when he played left tackle in the spring, looked really good. So do you look and see if he's the the candidate to start left tackle versus, you know, Cortland Ford was the guy that, you know, got the first team reps initially and got the most opportunities there. Casey Collier is a still developmental guy, you know, great size, good feet, but he's got to be able to bend a little bit better, you know, and he missed a little bit of time, you know, going back home um, because of the COVID protocols, you know, you 
have to come back and you have to be out for a little bit. But he missed some time going back because his sister was going to be the number one pick in the WNBA draft. Every practice is is crucial for a developmental guy when you're fighting for position. So do, do those things hurt him? Has he taken strides from the spring? You know, if they're working, one of the things that we've been told is that a lot of the workouts are much more functional workouts. So maybe some of those are working on bend and drive um, rather than just sole strength, you know, squats and bench press. But if there's some things that are working on his bend that help him, you know, get lower in his stance and, you know, help him move his feet in that stance, then, you know, maybe he's a guy that takes a big jump. This is a time when those young guys, those three guys that we're talking about in particular, could take a big jump. You often see a big jump that second year. You know, between the first year and second year, I've gotten used to college. I know what's going on. I've gotten used to workouts, whatever. And then now I can focus on my technique. I can focus on, and, you know, just, everything just kind of streamlines. You just get used to things. You get in a groove. And, you know, you see guys take that big jump their, their sophomore year. So we'll see if any of those guys are ready to do that in the fall. And the thing that stood out to me when talking to Brett was that, you know, especially when it comes to the offensive line, and we've talked about it, but it really holds true. They didn't get to work out indoors like prior to the 2020 season like they didn't have group workouts they couldn't do a prp like they couldn't toss a ball to each other and so he just specifically noted that that chemistry and that cohesion is much easier to put together when you have a spring summer and fall obviously but yeah we went into the 2020 spring camp going a lot of question marks with the offensive line can they take a jump forward and they never got an opportunity to take that jump because there wasn't a spring camp. There wasn't those PRPs. You know, there wasn't a true fall camp. You know, it was more expedited trying to get ready for the season rather than building up, building up. So I feel like because everyone was moving to a different position, so we were worried about that cohesion. How, how does the offense line come together with every single player except for Brett Elon moving to a different spot last year? So I think that, you know, maybe we see – the jump we were expecting last year for some of the, including those older guys, the Liam um, Jimmins, the Jalen McKenzie. Now they've had time actually being able to practice at that practice beside each other, you know, besides just playing in the game and they've been able to work on some stuff in the off season. Now that things are a little bit back to, towards normality a little bit more. So maybe we do see the offensive line, take that jump forward. And, you know, with Clay McGuire, you get new teaching, maybe something clicks there. We're hoping for the best, but still a ton of question marks with the offense line yep and that was one of our other storylines was how much will clay mcguire impact the 2021 season we saw new wrinkles in spring camp um in the run game and whatnot so is that a product of coming to usc and knowing the whole leech offense or whatnot i don't know but it seems like there are at least there we did see changes in spring camp yeah, we saw some some different some variance in the play calling, some variance in, in some of the stuff we did, some counters off stuff that they've done previously that we were, you know, asking like, where is the counter of that? Seems like they yeah. should be able to do that. Some short yardage stuff, the run game. Can the run game take a step forward? More importantly than just the run game, though, is the short yardage, because if they can just run the ball in short yardage and run for fifty yards a game, but they're able to convert on third downs in a short yard situations it changes the entire dynamic complexion you don't have to run the ball well you can throw the ball 50 times but can you run the ball when you need to yep that's what usc hasn't been able to do 
under Graham Harrell, and that's been the biggest issue. You know, they've run for some big games and stuff. Uh, you know, had some good rushing yards and whatnot, but they just they haven't consistently been able to pick up the yardage when they need to. When they the other team knows you're going to run, and with some of the wrinkles, some of the variance in the play calling that we saw, definitely had you know felt like it was coming from the fact that Clay McGuire is on the staff now because Graham Harrell respects him. He co- he played under him. He coached under him previously, so he respects his opinion. So I think that you're seeing some of those differences, and the fact that there was no other new coaches on, on the staff. Uh, Seth Dagey was already you know on the staff previously, even though he wasn't a full time coach. So he's the only new piece, and suddenly there's new wrinkles to it. That tells me that he's got a big part in it, and so it comes down to the run game and those things, but also the play calling. Does the play calling shift because of Clay McGuire? And it seemed like that in the spring. Do they continue that in the fall, or was it just let's try some things out because it's spring camp, and then we're going back to our normal stuff that yeah. that everyone knows what we're running, and we think that we can run it better than them. Well, speaking of the run game, go into the running backs. So for departures, it's hard to believe. I don't know why I don't think this, but Marquis Steph was actually on the team in 2020. What? I felt like he was gone earlier. <laughs> it's weird. It's just been that type of year. And then Stephen Carr also transferred. So you have those two staples, guys that you think of when you think of USC running backs. You think of those two. They're gone. So now uh, USC has some additions. Keontae Ingram, we saw him in spring. He's a Texas transfer. Uh, they also picked up Ka- uh, Brandon Campbell as a spring enrollee. He's a four-star four running back, 5'10", 190. And then another transfer, Darwin Barlow, a TCU transfer. He's a redshirt freshman, 5'11", 204. And then looking at the depth chart, uh, outside of the additions, you have Vi Malapai, Keenan Kirsten, and Quincy Junti. Yeah, you lost two transfers. You basically said, all right, we're going to the transfer portal. We're going to get two guys back. And I believe that both Ingram and Barlow have one more year of eligibility than Step or Carr had. So I think replacing, you know, when you look at them straight up as Barlow for Step, Ingram for Carr, you know, you're adding an extra year of eligibility. Plus, you know, uh, Keontae Ingram stood out this spring. So yeah. is he better than Stephen Carr? You know, is Barlow better than Step? I don't know necessarily there, but the fact that you're adding extra year of eligibility is, is big there. So Ingram has two years of eligibility remaining. Barlow, as a redshirt freshman, I believe, would have one more year than what Step had. So you're filling in a little bit of the void from your recruiting issues that you've had at the running back position. And then Brandon Campbell comes in. You know, he stood out uh, to me in the spring too. You know, making more plays than I expected. I would say. You know, it seemed like every every practice he would have one. You go, hmm, okay. You know, one of those kind of you know, perk up your your senses type of runs that you're like, maybe this guy can uh, contribute a little bit as a freshman when you wouldn't expect that normally with Ingram, uh, Malapai, and Keenan Kristen remaining on the roster as well. So, you know, Kristen is the big question mark for me. We yeah. saw him for the first time at the PRP this week after, you know, he wasn't with the team in the spring because he was running track, did really well on the track team as well, but does he does he get an opportunity does he fit in or is he forgotten you know that's a a big question mark for me is it going to be because it could easily be ingram and malapai and that's it yeah we've heard mike jinx talk about i want to have a 1a and a 1b and that's it you know i don't want to be rotating three or four guys which is new and so but do they follow through with that we've heard a lot of promises from the offense offensive coaches that haven't been followed through so is that something they actually follow through with that's going to be uh, one that we'll be keeping an eye on. I don't think we'll know that in the fall camp. We'll have to wait till the games. But where does Barlow land on the depth chart? 
where does Kristen land on the depth chart? And does Brandon Campbell just overtake Keenan Kristen? You know, he made some plays, and depending on what they think out of Kristen as far as pass blocking and all the other aspects of running, or do they feel like we can open up some holes this year? And if that's the case, Keenan Kristen's speed is going to play so much better than everyone else's. You know, he turns a four-yard run into a 40-yard run as long as there's a hole. He's not going to break a bunch of tackles and run 40 yards like Keontae Ingram did with the the pass that he caught in the spring game. But if you give him a hole, he's going to turn that four into 40 much quicker than anybody else. And that's the question about the 1A, 1B running back that Jinx talked about. Does that eliminate like you mentioned, the Keenan Kirsten speed factor where you throw him in for a couple plays. I mean, the interesting thing, too, is he didn't have spring camp. He ran 70 yards only in 2020. It's a long time for him necessarily to be away from football. So I'm curious how that works if he's a little delayed. But like you said, I feel like overall in spring, the addition of Keontae Ingram and Brandon Campbell actually made the running back room more competitive. Mm -hmm. We've talked about it before, but like sometimes in spring, the running backs kind of like do like 50% workload. It's not super intense, but I felt like this spring it seemed like there was real competition and guys were trying to prove themselves for uh, the future depth chart. So I think that's good. I think Keontae Ingram definitely impressed. He's a guy who, who just runs physically. I, I like what he brings to the running back room. It's something different that USC doesn't have prior to his addition. And so Brandon Campbell, I still have question marks about, but he's young, so we'll see. But overall, I think it was good for USC to add who they did because you are filling back the classes that you Mm -hmm. lost, which you mentioned. But I think overall, I'm interested to see how this group performs as a whole. My biggest question is, where does Keenan Kristen fit? Yeah. You know, are are we going to see him getting some first-team reps, some second-team reps, or does he get pushed down further and further, and then we start going – Maybe he transfers before fall starts so that he can go somewhere else and potentially, you know, get on. He, I think he would still have to sit out a year. I don't know the how the transfer is working after. I know you had to submit your paperwork before July 1st to be eligible immediately this, this fall season. So, you know, how exactly that will work? New landscape with the transfer rules. But yeah. that's one to keep an eye on because, you know, they, when they've used him in the past – and it's been, oh, we're going to throw guys in every once in a while instead of having 1A, 1B, they still would use him at weird times. Yeah. Like, suddenly, the first play of the fourth quarter, let's throw Keenan Kristen in against UCLA. It's like, what? Like, yeah. And you expect him to make a big play on, you know, first off, the defense is keying on him going like, that guy's in for the first time. Maybe we should pay attention to him. He's yeah. probably getting the ball. Um, you know, you're not running it, and then the first play after a timeout, after a quarter switch, you know, you're looking like, okay, is it a trick play? What's different is going to happen here? But they're really keying on him. It's not like you're just throwing him in the in the middle of a drive or anything. So that's going to be interesting. Uh, the rotations we won't really know until you know till we see him in the Coliseum playing. Yeah, I'm curious too. Does Vivai Malapai stay healthy? That's something that has been a question mark his whole career basically at this point and if he's down Keontae Ingram I believe would become the next guy up but USC really likes an every down back and I think they really like Vivai for that is Keontae every down back that they expect him to be I don't know I don't know who the number two would be if Vi went down I mean the question that we really can't find out during spring practice and maybe we'll see a little bit more in fall if we see some scrimmages is can he pass block 
You know, that's the big thing. Yeah. You know, they trusted Vavai and they trusted Stephen Carr as pass blockers. That was the big thing. That was one of the reasons why Keenan Kristen wasn't in there because yep. he's a smaller guy. He gets pushed around. Can Keontae Ingram block enough? Because we've seen he can run the ball, makes guys miss. He's physical. He can catch the ball in the backfield. Can he do the third part of being a running back, which is pass blocking? And that's something that we've had to clarify a lot on the Parasol podcast because people are like, why not use Keenan more often? And that was uh, the coaches really felt like his pass blocking was a liability. And if you go back to the Colorado game where he was the number one and basically only scholarship running back, it wasn't too successful. Like they had to turn to Amon Ross St. Brown. So who knows at this point? And I, I've noted that he seems a little bit bulkier. So maybe his pass blocking has improved, but I, that is why Keenan Kirsten is not a plug and play guy in the coach's mind right now. Yeah, we'll see. It's uh, it, the running backs are an interesting group that you kind of feel like Vi is going to be in there. He's going to be one of the one A, one Bs. You feel like Keontae Ingram is probably that other guy, but who makes an impact? And running backs always get hurt, so who's going to be able to step up and be the third guy too? Yep. Well, let's move to a position group that if you're a USC fan, maybe you've you. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're called the tight ends. People always ask when are they going to use the tight end like they 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 play I don't know, now do you want to use them as a pass catcher that is something completely different but they are used often you know they're on the field almost every play they're very little five wide receiver sets from usc very little four wide receiver and one running back there is a tight end on the field almost every snap it was something like 97 percent last year or something if i'm remembering correctly which it was above 90 at least wow See, okay, I know I was snarky, but I do. This is what was coming up in my mind when we were talking about Epps. I do think there's potential with the bodies that they're getting to actually use them in a receiving way as a receiving threat? Question mark. And that's the thing is, what do they want out of that position? Do you want a guy? I mean, I know what they want. They want a guy that can block and go catch. What are you going to get out of that position? Because who on this roster do we think can do that right now? There's no one that stands out and you're like, that's a complete tight end. That guy you know, is a dynamic weapon in the pass catching, but also we know he's a good blocker. The blocking, and take, take him for what you want as far as the PFF grades go, but the tight ends have routinely you know, been very poor, graded out very poorly in the PFF grades as far as pass blocking, as far as run blocking. More importantly, run blocking, but occasionally they stay in for pass blocking. But So who on this roster? Does one of those new guys, can they do it? I don't know. Well, let's get into the roster. Departures, USC actually didn't have any departures for tight ends. So there's a lot of guys who we've seen. There's two guys we've seen for a long time at USC at the tight end position, and we'll get into that. As far as additions, uh, we mentioned him, Malcolm Epps, a Texas transfer, listed as 6'5.5, but I'm going to list it as like 6'10. Just kidding. <laughs> but no, he's he's a tall dude, 218. 6'20. Six tw- that would be something else. He's seven <laughs> foot. Uh, Lake McCree, he was spring and rolly, so we got to see him a bit in spring. He's 6'4", 217. And then Michael Trigg, he's a fallen rolly, 6'3", 230. We did see him on Tuesday at the PRP. And then the rest of the depth chart, like I mentioned, Aaron Cromanhook, a guy who's been here for a while, Josh Follow, Jude Wolf, and Ethan Ray. Both Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray moving well. Again, haven't seen anything, but at least by walking standards, they were walking well. Um <laughs> They were both participating, which is the important thing. Sure. You know, they've missed both of them have missed time. Ethan Ray has had two ACL surgeries. So to see them both, you know, being appearing to be healthy from the little bit that we gathered, that is a very large tight end room. Which went from very little depth to bursting at the seams. 
Yeah, which tell which makes me wonder. Okay, is Malcolm Epps going to line up at tight end? Is he going to put his hand on the, on the dirt? Same thing with Michael Trigg. You yeah. know, maybe maybe they see Trigg as the future of the tight end position, and they go, well, this season let's let him play receiver more, play that Drake London, and then we'll continue to develop him in practice about you know putting his hand on the ground and blocking. You know, and but in the game maybe we don't use him in that. I don't know. We'll see. It may, that's something I'm looking forward in, in the fall camp is to see. Who actually puts their hand on the ground? That's going to be interesting to me because Epps you know, was listed as a tight end at Texas. We've heard talks that he's going to come here to be a big wide receiver more than, than necessarily a tight end. So is he putting his hand on the ground or not? Trigg, the same thing. He didn't play tight end in high school. He played wide receiver, big wide receiver. So are those guys coming to play a Drake London role and be a slot receiver, a big slot receiver? Or – are they coming to put their hand on the ground? And I don't think we know that until the fall. So that it's an interesting position to watch because there's so much depth for one. So that's that means a ton of competition. Yep. You know, Eric Cromanhook has dominated that position as far as taking the majority of the reps, taking the majority of the snaps. But I think there's a, a ton of guys that you think have a lot of talent, you know, that haven't hasn't been fulfilled yet. Whether it be the new guys coming in. Malcolm Epps, he, you know, he's got some catches and stuff at Texas, but hasn't fulfilled the talent to the level that I think he thinks he's capable of. Of Jude Wolf, Ethan Ray, because of the injuries, I think those guys are both talented as well. As well, saw them in high school make a ton of catches. You know, going against some really good safeties and stuff at the USC Elite Camp, seeing them make a bunch of plays. So, you know, I, I think there's a lot of talent at the at least pass catching wise. Who can block enough to get on the field, or is it Eric Cromanhook, who you don't look at as a pass catcher? but has been the consistent guy in the lineup because he's been the best blocker of the group. And it's worth noting, and of course, Coach Speak is Coach Speak, but we did hear that Eric Cromanhook was having the best spring that he's had as a Trojan, so maybe there's improvement there that can be useful. And the interesting thing about having more depth and more, I don't know if athletic options is the right way to describe it, but more options, you can we can see more things on the field, like two tight end sets, which we did see, uh, in spring, which I think they I think they showed that in the spring game, so we can say that. Yeah, I mean they they did more two tight end sets, and it's not like it's a big change in their offense <laughs> or anything because part of the reason why they did it is because they were so limited with wide receivers, which yeah. we'll touch on a little bit when we talk about their that group. But there were so many injuries and just the departures and whatnot. They didn't have a ton of wide scholarship wide receivers, so they're like let's just throw the tight ends out there and get them more work. So I think you saw more two tight end sets. Maybe they saw something and said. Hmm. Maybe we can use this a little bit different. They legitimately could line up an entire lineup of tight ends at skill positions. I mean, you could put Trigg, you can put Epps, you can put Chrome and Hook, Follow. You know, those could be your four guys at, at the receiver positions. I don't know that you want a running back, but you could go five wide with five tight ends if you really wanted to. Um, there are enough receiving options there, and they're dynamic enough that you could do that. Do you really want to take Drake London off the field? No, but you could if you really wanted to. Just to, you know, this is the type of thing that you do um, in a video game when you're up by 56 points or something. <laughs> Let's put the tight end line up in there. Um, but then you get in the red zone, just throw it up to anybody you want. But that tells you how deep the group is and that there's enough athleticism that you could split out five guys if you really wanted to. So I think that the, the group has much more depth, and we'll see if that means much more pass catches, much more targets, Maybe? because they don't get a lot of catches because they don't get a lot of targets. Now, are they open? 
That's a big question. You know, are they just taking up space to occupy defenders? Maybe that's all that they're being asked of. But we have seen in the air raid offense at times the tight end can be used heavily. You know, you look at offenses like the Kansas City Chiefs. If you have a dynamic weapon like a Travis Kelsey, you can use them in different ways and you know get them on a linebacker, get them on a safety, and find a way to get those mismatches because you have so much athletic ability at that position that the traditional positions that guard a big guy can't keep up with them. And a small guy, you know, put a cornerback out there, can't keep up with them either in a different way. So if you have a big athletic weapon, Michael Trigg, Malcolm Epps, some of those guys that have already been on the roster, do they find ways to use them? Or is the tight end position just going to be, we need somebody to block. We need somebody to be that H-back that's going to be back there to play a faux fullback and be on the end of the line to block. And that's a, an area where the tight end position has really struggled in the past. And that's why I think, I don't know if this is a hot take, but the tight end position could be one of the most interesting to watch for as far as offense. I'm going to hedge a little bit. But contingent on how well do they perform? Do they live up to what we think they can do as far as transfers and incoming guys? But also, does USC utilize them in a way that will actually make them a dynamic weapon in this offense? Because I think you can't. I think there are options now that the, the room is deeper but does USC want to do that? And like you said, are they just a blocking option? Yep, it's going to be a question mark. Um, and the fact that there's seven guys, competition. Because there's seven guys for a position where there's usually only one on the field at a time. That's like running back. Like If you have seven running backs and they're all competing and they have different a- aspects, there's going to be a ton of competition. So I think you're going to see a ton of competition at that position. Yeah, again, we got to see where Epson and Trigg line up, but... It will be interesting. Now, moving on to the wide receivers. One of the storylines that I think we've talked about a lot is which wide receivers will step up after Drake London. Because we know Drake London is the guy. But who else is going to step up? Who else is going to be healthy? It's a big question. So going into the depth chart, departures. Amon Ross St. Brown obviously left for the NFL. Tyler Vaughn's as well. Josh Jackson is counted as a departure because he left for the defense. And then uh, Manira Klain was suspended for the 2020 season and he ended up transferring during this offseason. So those are the departures for USC's wide receivers. Then additions. USC got a, a good amount of additions so far this offseason. Taj Washington as a transfer. Katie Nixon, the Colorado transfer. He's 5'8", 190. We did see him in spring. Kyron uh, Ware Hudson we saw on Tuesday. He's a four-star, 6'1", 200 wide receiver. Joseph Manjack is a fall enrollee. He's a three-star, 6'3", 200 pound receiver. And then Michael Jackson who we also saw in spring six foot 200. I believe he got injured though, right, Shotgun? Yep. He did not finish the spring, neither did Gary Bryant Jr., who's one of the returners, um, which brings you to your depth chart. Yes, the, the, <laughs> the returners. She's over here swinging her arm like, no, I, this is my thing. <laughs> I got to stop you. Once you get on a roll, there's no stoppage. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Drake London, Brew McCoy, John Jackson the third, Gary Bryant Jr., and Kyle Ford, who I put a question mark next to because we still don't know fully how his knee is doing but apparently he told you he's doing well uh but that is the depth chart medically cleared oh there we go forward so he's ready to go for the fall as well so suddenly this goes from a position in the spring especially at the end of the spring where drake london they just started kind of limiting his reps maybe he was a little bit nicked up brew mccoy was limited at times during the spring gary bryant jr didn't finish the spring you know kyle ford wasn't playing michael jackson didn't finish the spring there was like no scholarship receivers at the end of the spring. 
and which is why we saw a little bit more of the two tight end sets. We saw some two running back sets. Saw some different things like let's mix and match and try to get scholarship guys out there to give them opportunities rather than putting a bunch of walk ons out there and just trying to go through the plays. But you also added a bunch. You know, this is a position where Graham Harrell has said in the past that he wants to be you know twelve to fifteen deep. So that you have the bodies, so you can cycle guys through, but you're also developing young guys at the same time. Well, now you're starting to get more of those bodies. You know, you're adding Taj Washington, adding Katie Nixon as transfers. You're adding Jake Smith, the transfer from Texas. He hasn't made it to campus yet, but he is committed to USC as well. And then you're adding those three freshmen. Michael Jackson, we've already seen. He's a three-star guy coming out of Desert Pines in Las Vegas, but he was a guy that you know had caught my eye at a couple of the seven-on-seven tournaments seeing him. He's like an Amon Ra St. Brown light. Um, you know, not quite a, as precise as Amon Ross St. Brown with his, you know, route running and stuff at this point, but a guy that similar body frame, you know, shakes defenders similar, you know, goes up and makes catches, even though he's only at six foot, you know, reminds you a lot of Amon Ross St. Brown, which is not a bad thing there. And he made a bunch of plays in the spring. Joseph Manjack, we've heard positive reviews from him already. You know, he's a guy that's coming from Texas, an intriguing guy because he played some quarterback in high school. You know, he put up some some massive numbers, and you wonder, okay, what is this guy going to be? He, he doesn't really look like a dominant wide receiver. But like I he, really he does liked his tape. I don't know why he was. Oh, a guy he's got that great tape. I just circled it. And I was like, he's going to be something. I think it was from Tomball, Texas, which is you know a small part of Texas. So you wonder the competition level there, but. We've heard some positive things. He doesn't look like a wide receiver. Like you look at him, you go like, "That's not a guy that just put up like three thousand yards or whatever numbers he had in high school." But then he's a guy when he puts the pads on and go out there, and he just makes plays. He's so, the guy who I thought was like the shifty slot guy who was like five eleven, and then I saw him on Tuesday, and I'm like, "He's six three? What? Like I don't know why it just didn't appear that way." So you're adding some different types of receivers there. You know, you still have the big bulky receivers on the outside, and Brew McCoy, Kyle Ford, Drake London. You got a speedster in Gary Bryant. You're adding more speed with Taj Washington, adding speed with Katie Nixon, adding speed with Jake Smith. You know, do you use those guys in the slot? Do you take the top off? There's some more options, I feel like now. But the but. Are you going to actually rotate them? That's something that has been talked about. And this is what I talk about when I say we've heard things from the offensive staff before that haven't come true, haven't come to fruition. You know, initially, Graham Harrell was like, we're going to rotate receivers, we're going to do this. And he's like, well, Michael Pittman's too good. I'm not taking him off the field, which I understand. But when you're running a bunch of streaks and you're running different things, like you need to take those guys off, give them a break, force those cornerbacks to be running that much and have fresh legs going against them. I think that is, you know, would be more beneficial to the team than keeping one player on the on the field at all times, even though Michael Pittman Jr. is very difficult to take off the field because of how good he was. But now, you you know, you got Drake London. Are you ever going to take him off the field? No. Okay, well, I think Brew McCoy can become that guy. Are you ever going to take him off the field? Well, no. Then when are any of these other guys going to play at all? So are you going to rotate, you know, and if they're moving the ball and if they convert on short short yardage situations, you keep drives going, you get more opportunity, more plays, maybe you do see some more rotation. Uh, A lot of things that could go into that. But a deeper wide receiver group even though you don't have the experience that you've had in the past you don't have the product you don't have the experience production that you had in the past with Amon Ross St. Brown Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman before them guys that 
had already produced and were coming to this. You had Drake London, and he's produced. And Brew McCoy, we saw some good things from him last year in his limited time. I think he's the front runner to take over one of the, the, the other outside spot. Yeah. Kyle Ford is returning. Feels really good. I talked to him on, on Tuesday, and you know he's in a great mindset. You can see just talking to him, you can feel the excitement from him. You know, because he's coming back out, going to be a, finally back healthy. So I'm, I'm curious to see. He's a guy coming out of high school. Him and Brew McCoy were very similar. Put up a, you know, both of them produced uh, a ton for their high schools in the Trinity League, the toughest league in America. So I'm curious to see where he's at. And then what do we get from those young guys, those newcomers? Taj Washington, I talked about it. He's a guy that I'm curious to see. You know, he was an All American at Memphis last year as a freshman, as a redshirt freshman. Does he come in and take over a slot position? Does can he beat out Gary Bryant? How do they use those slot guys? Do you want to use Gary Bryant on the outside to use his speed against it? There's a lot of question marks there as well with where people line up. I feel like that's the biggest thing with the the offense this year is where is everyone lining up? Yeah, the offensive line, um, you, you know, with the wide receivers, the tight ends. Mm-hmm. Where is everyone going to line up here and I, I think that's what we're curious to see during the fall and I think that's what's going to be the the biggest thing to come out of the fall on the offensive side who ends up starting and where where are the the people that are starting where are they lining up this year are you concerned at all about maybe health issues that ha- we saw run through the wide receiver room in spring no not necessarily I mean spring if you get nicked up you don't want to push anything and you know actually you know, get a serious injury. And if you roll an ankle or something in the fall, you know, during a practice, then you maybe miss one week and you're back. Spring is a little bit different. Um, or, you know, you, you play through it during the fall. So I'm not necessarily concerned. The fact that Michael Jackson and Gary Bryant were both participants in the PRP on Tuesday is a positive sign. The fact that Kyle Ford is medically cleared, positive sign. So I feel like you're going into the fall at least and you're healthy. So we'll see where they go from there. Yeah. For me, and I've said it before, I don't think we saw a really reliable target outside of Drake London in spring. It just felt a little clunky. Reliability, but also who gets a good connection with Keaton Slovis? Yeah. You know, so I think that's that's going to be really big. Like, who can Keaton Slovis count on to be in the spot where he's expecting them to be? You know, do you turn left? Do you turn right? You know, just Keaton Slovis, which way is he looking when he does that? You know, when you're trying to run to grass in this offense at times, you have to be on the same page or else quarterback throws it one way, cornerback takes it the other way because the wide receiver turned a different direction. So I think that's that's going to be something that to keep an eye on is – who is vibing with Keaton Slovis, basically? Vibing. Yeah, and I mean, it's it was underrated skills of both Almond Ross Brown and Tyler Vaughns to be in the right spot at the right time and have that connection with Slovis. So, and you're, and you're missing that now going in, and I think we felt that in spring is what I'm saying. And that will lead us into our next storyline. Dun-dun-dun! Which is, is about Keaton Slovis, but if Keaton Slovis is Keaton Slovis of 2020, who's going to go up and make tough catches? Because there were times when guys were forced to go up and make some difficult catches, and that's what you want from your wide receivers at all times. But if Keaton Slovis isn't on the money like he was in 2020, which of these young guys, which of these new guys is going to be capable of going up and making the contested catch um, if the throw is not perfect? Yeah, I mean, you said it, but the the biggest storyline is which Keaton will we see in 2021? There's a lot of talk heading into spring camp about the work he did both mentally and physically with quarterback coaches and and things. So which Keaton do we see? 
and that obviously will determine a lot about this offense because you need your quarterback to be uh, a strong guy leading the team. In 2020, it felt like a lot of times they were trying to make up for some of Keaton's mistakes. Yeah, there were times when the ball didn't come out cleanly. There were some flutter balls. You know, he was he, he looked like a different quarterback in the final couple minutes of games at times. Like, you know, he could brush everything away and like, all right, let's go get a win. And he was locked in and focused. And at other times it looked like, you know, that he just he didn't have the confidence to make the throws that he has shown that he is capable of making. So do we get 2019 Keaton Slovis that was going out there? I'm a freshman. I got nothing to lose. I'm going to rip it. Or do we get the 2020 um, Keaton Slovis that didn't have his confidence at all the time and sometimes the ball didn't come out clean, which then forced the wide receivers to make some of those tough contested catches like I was talking about. So, I I mean, if he's on, he has the potential to be a first-round draft pick. We've seen that in a lot of the, you know, scouting stuff, um, you know, a lot of the mock drafts and stuff. But he hasn't shown it consistently since the arm injury in the Holiday Bowl. So that's what we're going to be watching is there zip on the ball? Is he placing the ball where he wants to place it? And can he get that connection with the wide receivers? That'll help out a lot of the placement issues. But, you know, as far as throwing to the same spot as a receiver, but is the throw getting to where he wants it to go? You know, there's going to be times with new receivers where you throw it and you're not on the same page. But is he throwing it and he throws it and he feels like, I threw where I wanted to. The receiver needs to, we got to make an adjustment with the receiver. Or is it, I just can't get it there. I can't get it to where I want to put the ball. What's in my mind to where I can get the ball versus what my body is able to do. That's what we saw last year. You know, you try to make some throws and just the ball didn't come out clean or he didn't have the arm strength at times to make the throws that we've seen him make in the past. So can his mind and body be linked up again in 2021? And that's one of the things with the 3D QB thing that they worked on. You know, we talked with Tom House, Ryan and I did for one of the Herd It podcasts about what work that they would do with a quarterback and the things. And he, Tom Howe said, he never got to me as far as like the, he, they never brought him Keaton Slovis to Tom House to training, which is a positive thing. Yeah. Because he does the mental stuff. And, and you know, when guys are str- really struggling, that's when they go to Tom and bring him in versus the other coaches at the, the organization. So I, I think that's a positive sign. He thinks that, Tom House said from the reviews that he received from his colleagues and stuff that he thinks Keaton Slovis will bounce back and have a good year this year. So keep an eye on it. Obviously, we'll be watching him, you know, more than keep an eye on it. We'll be hawkeyeing him throughout the fall <laughs> to to see, you know, what the throws look like and how they come out. And then there's some other guys that we're going to be watching as well because unfortunately, quarterbacks haven't made it through a season in this offense. Yikes, yeah. Good point. And with a lot of offensive line questions, can Keaton Slovis stay healthy for the entire season? If not, who's going to come in? Well, perfect transition, Shotgun, to the rest <laughs> of the depth chart. As far as departures go, Matt Fink, he retired from football. Um, serviced USC well. He had to step up in times when Keaton Slovis and the rest of the depth chart got hurt. So uh, props to him. But as far as additions, we did see Miller Moss and Jackson Dart in the spring. And then USC got a, a, a preferred walk-on transfer this offseason in Brendan Costello. I believe we talked about him last episode. He's from Oklahoma State. So as far as the rest of the depth chart goes, obviously Keaton Slovis. Uh, Mo Hassan, who tore his ACL in the spring game. Yeah, he was the backup. You know, he was having a good spring, and you would say he was probably the guy that was going to come in if Keaton Slovis did get injured. But unfortunately, Mo Hassan goes down with ACL injury. He's not going to be able to play this year. So you're looking at the freshman, 
Miller Moss, Jackson Dart, but also you have Brendan Costello, so we'll see about that. Yeah, I mean, Costello is an interesting addition. We talked about it a little bit in the previous podcast, either last week or the week before, but I think it's huge to get a guy that is a scholarship caliber guy, on scholarship at Oklahoma State, played at San Clemente, played in a successful program, obviously Sam Darnold, Jack Sears, he was the, the guy after them. He's a little bit different, so you could bring him in and use him. You know, he can run around a little bit more than, than some of the other quarterbacks. So, do you want to use him for something? How does he fit into this? He has a little bit more experience, having been in college for a couple of years. Can he beat out one of those those young guys? I don't think that's going to be the case. But Mo Hassan was a guy that was a preferred walk on, basically transfer, similar situation. Had been on scholarship at Vanderbilt, came to USC. I think he earned the scholarship at USC as well. So we'll see if Costello follows the same similar path. With Hassan was leading the way in the spring because the young guys were making some young guy mistakes, which is expected. Can Costello get in there and compete for that backup position? That'll be interesting to watch. That'll be kind of the the key thing to watch is that the backup is the backup battle is what we'll be watching with that group as well as Keen Slovis and what we just talked about. But the the other thing to watch with the the quarterbacks will be the backup battle. Jackson Dart came out of spring was leading that. But I think that Miller Moss could easily take a big jump forward because if you remember, Miller Moss hadn't played in over a year. Yeah. Um, and I think people kind of forget that. And they're just like, oh, Jackson Dart was the greatest. And, you know, he's the next, he's the heir apparent now. He was coming in warm, relatively. Yeah. He's coming in hot. He's coming in with a ton of confidence. And now Miller Moss, you got to worry about how does his confidence as far as the battle goes and, and that whole situation. But I think Miller Moss, you know, he was doing the right things, doing the checkdowns and stuff like that, not throwing, you know, throwing the ball wildly or anything. We didn't see any Ricky Towning out there. Uh, so Did you just make that a verb? I think I made it a verb in a previous podcast. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. He didn't throw three interceptions in a row in a PRP <sighs> that we've seen. Um, so, you know, I think that he can, can take a big jump forward just because you basically have shaken off the rust from the fall and now he's back to competition. So we'll see if that is the case. Or is Jackson Dart? Is he the heir apparent? You know, he he's got he's got that swag. He's got the the hair flowing right now, the blonde <laughs> hair. Uh, he's he just seems like he always has a smile on his face. I um, mean, he's he's a gunslinger. He's not afraid to throw passes that you go, oh oh, don't do. Okay, okay, that's right. if you're on the sideline as a coach, going, no no no, okay, touchdown, we'll take it. And that's <laughs> that's kind of the uh, the Keaton Slovis play. Uh, the touchdown against Oregon early in the game to Drake London. If you remember, he <laughs> ran all, all around the place. If you're drawing up the the diagram, it was like there's a bunch circles, of squiggles. Yeah. And after the game, he was like, Keaton Slovis uh, was asking about it, and Graham was like, I told him, don't ever do that again type <laughs> yeah. of thing. Good job. Don't ever do it again. Um, that's the type of things that we're seeing from Jackson Dart. You know, he, He's not afraid to make throws on the run. You know, Both he and Miller Moss, I think, are good at making off-platform throws, which has become – a necessity in this offense because of the offensive line issues. So, you know, who's going to take that back over spot? That's going to be a big question mark. And does that battle continue throughout the season? Because, again, with Miller Moss, I think that you maybe maybe he shakes off the rust and takes a jump forward. Um, you know, it could be something as who's grasping the offense, who's understanding things in practice the best as you, you go along. And I think that could be a season-long battle and you wonder, like, if, if Keaton Slovis makes it eight games and he goes down in game nine, who comes in then? It might be different than who would come in in game one. So I think that's a, a, a position battle we'll be watching throughout. Um, 
throughout their careers, you know, until one person takes over the reins or one person exits the competition. I think that's a competition that will continue back and forth, similar to Jack Sears, Matt Fink, um, and, and that group, you know, when they were trying to win that backup battle and then win the starting position when JT Daniels was coming in. Overall, if we want to now zoom out and take this big picture, not only just for the offense, but I guess the team as a whole, I'm just really curious how getting back into a regular routine of things, not having to deal with COVID protocols to a certain degree or as intensely as they did last season, how much does that help the development and just rhythm of guys athletically? Like, I don't think you can say that the things that USC had to do last season didn't impact them in some shape or form, you know? And so I'm just really curious how now that it's looking more normal, will that continuity and that normalcy help this team overall? I think you could see some really big jumps, some unexpected jumps too, from guys that you have maybe written off or been like, ah, he backslid, you know, he's not going to develop that. Because I've been talking, you know, cover college baseball. I was talking with a coach last night actually, and we were talking about how some certain positions had backslid more than other positions. So maybe offensive line, is that a position where because you don't get the close connection that you normally would, you know, off the field, on the field, all those things. Is that a position that you could see some big jumps going forward? Uh, and with a new coach, do you see maybe that's a position where we see multiple guys take some steps forward and the offensive line surprises us a little bit? USC fans, I think, would be very happy if that was the case. I don't think they're anticipating it because they've pretty much poo pooed anything on the offensive line ever happening positive again. But uh, I, I think that that's something to keep an eye on. You know, are there positions where, you know, like skill positions, maybe maybe those are easier to because it's just a natural athletic ability. Maybe those are easier to overcome not having the routine, the practice schedule that you normally have. Whereas maybe some of the you know the the defensive line, offensive line, maybe see some of those guys jump more because of that. I think that's something interesting to watch. Don't forget there was a pandemic last year, and it was a completely new new. It was a completely different experience. It was yeah. completely, you know, unheard of. Guys training in their garages, like Justin Dedes pulling trucks and stuff. <laughs> yeah. what, I mean, working on the strongman competition, um, tryout video. It was completely different. So now that you have a new strength staff, it's you know focusing on those functional lifts. Do we see improvements in areas where maybe we've written off or maybe where we just you know considered like there's not going to be improvement there and maybe we get some surprises in, in some different areas than we're anticipating? Well, I guess for now, that is our offensive preview. Well, I guess we'll have a ton of more thoughts once we actually see things um, in fall camp and whatnot. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But any final thoughts about this preview, Shotgun, before we get into some questions? No, I think, again, it all goes back to the offense line because, one, it's – Who's going to start? What impact is Clay McGuire going to have? Can they run the ball? Can they keep Keaton Slovis healthy? I think it all comes back to that. I think you feel confident in your skill position players. They'll make some plays. But the offensive line, it all starts there. Alrighty, like I said, let's jump into questions. First one is from Reggie. He says, what, if any, is the plan to reset the recruiting board on prospects west of Texas? It seems like recruiting outside of Dante and Sooto is beginning to struggle. I don't know about resetting the board. I think they're still going to be recruiting the kids they're recruiting. Do you start putting more emphasis on some of the local recruits? 
um, you know, getting more opportunities to see them, the evaluation periods and stuff that they got during June and seeing guys when they came on campus, being able to evaluate them. Maybe that changes your board a little bit. Any evaluation period is going to change your board a little bit. So maybe in the fall when you see games again, maybe that changes some things. But I don't think you're going to completely reset the board. Uh, and I think that they're going to continue to go going after some national guys, having some success with some of those guys at certain positions. But you gotta, you know, you gotta be able to go get those offensive linemen. That's the big question. That's the thing that everybody wants to talk about. There's not a ton of offensive linemen in Southern California or on the West Coast that are that are big name guys. The ones that are, can you can you get back in the mix? Can you close with them? Well, that's the question we have from Gilbert, who says, "Are they ever going to get five and four star offensive line help?" I mean, Austin Jackson and Elijah Vera Tucker might come back to like help somebody move or something. Does that, does that count? Snarky shotgun. <laughs> No, they, I mean, unfortunately for USC, they they're not making any traction there. You know, the they've still got a couple big names on the board: Devin Campbell, um, Nito from from Texas as well. But Addison Nichols just uh, eliminated USC, or at least cut them out of his top three. So that was a big target that they thought that they you know were were making some ground with. Ernest Green, Gerard talked to him this weekend. Sounds like USC still in the mix. He still wants to get up to USC. So. There's a couple of guys still in the mix for USC, and I think Josh Connerly is a guy that USC could be in the mix for as well up in Washington, you know, four or five-star guys. But I need to see some results before I can say that they're going to get that help. Ram Bam 43 says, with wide receiver recruiting seemingly falling behind a bit, do you know or have you heard anything about Coach Kerry Colbert or other support staff members using Reggie Bush as an angle? I know Jaden Gould uh, was a huge fan of him growing up and he recently committed. I mean, everyone should be using Reggie Bush as an angle. I don't know why you wouldn't. You know, just I would just send the, his highlights out just randomly. Like, hey, check this out. Doesn't that Colonel and Gold look really cool? Like that would be my that would be my tweet or my text to the, to a prospect. Um, as far as Kerry Colbert, are you sending out Reggie Bush specifically for wide receiver recruiting? Not necessarily. Uh, you can send out. Robert Woods or Marquise Lee highlights, or if you want to go back to Keyshawn Johnson, there's a lot of things you can send out. There's at every position on the field, there are USC greats yep. that you can link back to. But you can also use someone like Reggie Bush. You know, I haven't heard anything about Coach Casey, Kerry Colbert, uh, you know, using Reggie Bush in particular. I know when Reggie Bush visited, Kerry Colbert was there. You know, he was one of the, the guys that was basically with him. So I'm sure that. His name comes up occasionally when Kerry Colbert recruits. I think for USC, the, the big thing is they need to try to get one of the big three of the West Coast guys. Gavin Sawchuck, Relik Brown, and Javante Barnes. Three guys that two were committed to Oklahoma and another that is Oklahoma's in the mix for. So they got to be able to steal one of those away from Oklahoma or keep Javante Barnes from, from going to Oklahoma they do have the commitment from DeAnthony Gatson from Newton, Texas. So, you know, they've got one one in hand. They need to get two in this class as well. They've got, got a couple of other options that are local options, like Jalen Thompson. You know, those are kind of – I think those are plan B options, Speedy Luke as well. But I think they're looking at that that upper echelon group, of the five-star from Colorado, Gavin Sawchuk, the four-star, Relique Brown, who is such a unique weapon – that you can use in the slot and different things. And then Javante Barnes, who's more your traditional running back, but is a guy that 
I love watching at 707 events and stuff as well. So I think you got to get one of those guys. And then if you hold on to Gatson, I think you feel happy with the class. If you can get two of those guys, flip one of them from Oklahoma, sign Barnes, then maybe Gatson gets pushed out of the class. I, I think there's different ways that this class could go. If they don't get one of those top three guys, then I think you're looking at Speedy Luke or Jalen Thompson as a backup option. But I don't think USC fans are going to be enthralled by that. I think those are solid options, but I don't think those are the options that USC fans would be you know, super excited about. I believe we also went into more detail about this in last week's podcast. So if you want more answers, go to the question section then. <laughs> uh, we have a couple more questions. First one is from Esoteric Simpleton, who says, I'm intrigued by some of the options in USC's linebacking core. What have you heard about Solomon Tulialapupu? How did he look? Do you think Taylor Katoa can help this year? Taylor Katoa is another guy that was at the PRP you know, he's a guy that had an injury and, you know, didn't really do much in, in 2020, you know, as he returned from his mission. Solomon Tuli-Alapupu, again, what have we heard about him? That he's out there and his recovery is coming along and he should be ready to go in the fall, I believe. You know, Chris Trevino is the, the expert on the, the Solomon Tuli-Alapupu news um, because I try to stay out of it until we see him practice for a full week in a row. So how did he look? He has an interesting haircut right now. And he looks like Salman Dulalapupu. <laughs> well done. <laughs> we got a question from Jerry, who's also at Great Halos fan. Great job, Jerry. I don't know about that. He says, Shotgun, how much will NIL affect high school baseball players' decision whether to sign with MLB team or go to college? Also, for top baseball players with football scholarship offers, i.e. Bubba Chandler, MLB signing bonus might not be as big of a prize if they can make money in college. I mean, it depends on what type of NIL you think you can get, what schools you're looking at there, but also what type of signing bonus you could potentially get. I mean, if you're going to be a top five guy and you're getting $5 million, that's much different than if you're a 10th round guy and you're getting 140000 So I, I think that's what it comes down to. Um, the, the interesting thing with the NIL in baseball is that what schools are going to make money? I mean, what schools can you capitalize on that from? Do you know any of the USC baseball players off the top of your head right now? Not in recent memory because there haven't been a bunch of first-round picks and stuff. UCLA, I mean, the the one player that I think people outside of the college baseball community would know on their current roster would be Matt McClain because he turned down. He was a first-round pick a few years ago, became a first-round pick again this year. But just because he turned down, two points, I think it was $2.7 million to, to go to UCLA, so and UCLA has been a successful program for year over year. Now you know Garrett Cole and you know Trevor Bauer. Did anyone know them in a, in college outside of the college baseball community? I don't know. Now when you go to Mississippi State, where I went, and they just won the national championship, when they have forty thousand people in uh, in attendance for a weekend or thirty thousand people, like that's, I think that then you're changing the dynamic. I think all the people that are coming to those games. They knew who Rowdy Jordan was, who was their leadoff hitter, who didn't get. I don't. I think he got drafted late in the draft the, this week, um, but he, when he did something good, the entire crowd would start chanting his name. I think it's a completely different dynamic there. I think in in you know Starkville, Mississippi, you put Rowdy Jordan on a on a billboard, and people are going to you know be excited about it. You put Matt McLean on a billboard in L.A. I don't think there's the same attention to it. So I, I think that it's going to push 
you know, potentially some some players to smaller college towns. I think more so than in other sports, I think basketball you can create your own brand outside of the university, outside of the you know the college campus, the college city that you're in. Um, baseball, can you do that? I don't know that there's the same type of following, you know, as far as highlights and stuff go. So I think it's going to be more difficult for for rising college players to think that they're going to get a bunch of NIL money that way. But two sport guys, you know, you just you got two markets to potentially go after. So I think that always helps. And that takes us to another question that we got um, uh, about Nico Umaleve. I think that I'm, I'm still working on that one. Still working on pronouncing that one right. You are, but we got a question about a video you retweeted of him dominating on the volleyball court. Uh, Seth said that video you retweeted is impressive. Is playing both football and volleyball a realistic goal for a player since they are in different seasons? I know it's been done with track, but has it been done with volleyball? It's it's not easy. It, it definitely is. It's very rare, you know, to to see anyone that is a dual sport athlete in football and volleyball. There's just not a ton of really good athletes that play men's volleyball to begin with. Um, so, But the one potential there is that they start games in February. Now they start camp in, in January or December, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But any sport where you, you, you need a sport where it's a true fall-spring designation. So that's why the, the two sport athletes you see most in college are football and baseball as far as football players and any second sport. Is football and baseball, and there's not many of those guys. There's usually like 10 maybe a year in D1, um, so it's pretty rare there. We've seen some guys try football and basketball, but it's it just it's that it's so difficult because if you're a dude in one sport, you have to focus on that sport. You know, Drake London is a guy who I think could have been a, a stud in either sport and could be a pro in either sport, but because he got early playing time as in football. He started late as far as basketball, and eventually you, you end up giving up the sport to focus on, on one or the other. So maybe maybe you could see somebody do uh, you know both football and volleyball because it's separated like that. You see some of the track athletes. That happens occasionally, and sometimes that can be a recruiting pitch for some guys. Isaiah Sategna, a guy who just picked Oregon over USC, part of it was he wanted to, he was looking at the track programs as well. So maybe you look at Nico and say, you know, he's the guy that, that could potentially play volleyball in college. Is that something he really desires? Can you miss spring practice as a quarterback would be a much bigger question, though. That's a good point. And one final question we got was from Stevie, who asked, where do you think USC's chances are with, with Nico? Uh, and he says that he thinks he's the best quarterback in that 2023 class. And he's a guy that is projectable. He's getting bigger and bigger. He looks so different from when I saw him at, at a USC elite camp you know, three or four years ago now. So, you know, he's a guy that I want to see him with upper echelon receivers. I want to see him going against upper echelon defenses um, and see how he can, competes there. Malachi Nelson, I think, is a really good quarterback as well. There's some other ones in that group um, that, that are in the mix. But, yeah, he's he's up there in that upper echelon tier, and he could still be growing. That's the crazy spot. He, I mean, he's like 6'6 right now, but he, he might even still have an inch or two more to grow as well. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up for questions this week and this week's podcast. Shotgun, we're in preview mode already. It's that type of it's that time of the year. It is indeed. It's close. The football. <laughs> it's the, so close. The football is close. It's close. We'll be back next week with a defensive preview podcast and hopefully the return of the cousin. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just throwing a little spice in oh, there. Oh, spice, spice, spice. 
And hey, we got to we had to talk a little bit about the Olympics next week. Oh, a lot of USC athletes Trojans be, to Tokyo. Yeah, got a lot of athletes out there that are participating including some that are currently at USC. How does that NIL work? Ooh. That's fascinating to me. Fascinating. So, you know, good luck to all the the USC Olympians that are heading over there and all our USA Olympians as they they go to Tokyo and, and compete and bring back a bunch of medals. Sometimes when I say USA, my brain just goes USC. It's like a weird, I can't undo the C. It's just there. Um, all righty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. I'm Chalk, I'm Spratling. I'm Kilior. We'll see y'all next week. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.